What would you give to increase sales by 8% of your restaurant? Restaurants leveraging the power of Yelp Guest Manager paired with Yelp ads enjoy up to an 8% monthly lift in diner bookings through Yelp. It makes sense, right? Millions of people use Yelp every day to find restaurants, and they're using that same trusted platform to book reservations and add themselves to wait lists. Your restaurant could be busier today. To learn more, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and quote podcast. Yelp Internal Data 2021. Based on average results from a sample study of restaurants with guest manager that purchased Yelp ads between April and July 2021 in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York City. Results may vary. Now here we go. Tenants, as you said at the very beginning of this podcast, they often don't feel empowered. And often that is enabled or facilitated by a broker not wanting you to negotiate. You got a broker representing you, well, why would he want to negotiate? If I get you a year of free rent on a five-year lease, you're ecstatic. If a broker gets you a year of free rent on a five-year lease, you only get the four-year commission, right? Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up, on the house. Are you sitting on a great lease for your restaurant? Is your restaurant's lease about to come up for renewal? Or are you grinding away with a lease that's destroying your profitability? A great lease will make or break a young restaurant. Setting up for long-term success or sucking the profit margin out of what is an already difficult industry. Today, we chat with Dale Willerton, the lease coach. In our conversation, Dale lays out best practices and mistakes to avoid when it comes to choosing the right location, signing your first lease, and renegotiating your lease renewal. Well, Josh, I started in the commercial real estate industry working for landlords. I was a shopping center manager, a leasing rep for different landlords across the country. This is how I sort of became an industry insider. I worked for years for landlords before I switched to the tenant side in 1993. And that really brought a lot of advantages to it for me because when you sit on the other side of the desk, you can see how the sausage is made. Absolutely. And what did you learn? How is the sausage made? Well, I learned that there are great landlords who are ethical and honest, and then there are some shysters, and there are some ones that you want to be careful of, which is one of the reasons I always ask my clients or tell tenants during when I'm giving seminars and speaking engagements, if you haven't met the landlord, do that. Create a relationship with them, especially if you're signing a brand new lease in the LOI stage. You want to get to know your landlord a little bit, because if they're a jerk, when they're courting you to move into their property, they're going to be even more so after you become a tenant and can't really get out. So I learned that landlords and property managers and leasing reps are people just like you and I. They've got families, they've got mouths to feed, but they're not in it for the relationship. You're not going into business with the landlord. It's not like that. It's mostly business for them. 
And you wrote a book called Negotiating Commercial Leases and Renewals for Dummies. That's right. It's actually my third book on this subject, and it's the longest one. It was the hardest one to write because the Four Dummies franchise and the Four Dummies publisher, they require you to write it in sort of a very specific way. And so I tell tenants, look, this 330-page Four Dummies book is not a novel. You don't read it from front to back. It's written in sections. And some of the things, some of the tips and points and advice I give in there, I give in multiple sections because it applies throughout the book. And so each section is is standalone, and we get a tremendous amount of feedback from people who have read the book. And I understand why. Now, the biggest hurdle to, I think, picking up the book or using any of the tools in the book, and I think we should talk about it before we dig in, is fear, right? Mm-hmm. I love this space. This space is perfect for my restaurant. And if I poke the bear, I might not get it, which is really, I think, the fear that a lot of us have. This is the perfect space. So I'll just make the lease that they offer work. There's typically, at least from my experience and the experience of those in my circle, very little negotiation that happens when it comes to leasing. Can you try and abate my fears? Well, if you involve a professional lease consultant like myself, there's going to be a tremendous amount of negotiation and discussion. I want to draw the distinction between discussion and negotiation, and there will be compromise as well. I don't come out of the gate negotiating. I come out of the gate asking questions of the landlord, um, asking for confirmation of things. Often they will represent things to you without putting them in writing. And part of my job is to make sure everything they've told us is in writing and they're going to be accountable for it. But you are correct. There are a lot of timid and there are a lot of not insecure, but unsure tenants and business owners who really, they're afraid of upsetting the apple cart. I got an email last week from a franchisee who uh, was exactly that same way. He said, it's my first location as a franchise tenant. I didn't want to upset the apple cart. I didn't want to aggravate them. So I basically took the deal they gave me, which was really unfortunate because there often is a lot to negotiate. And, and this breaks down into two segments. Okay, so you're negotiating a letter of intent or an offer to lease. This is for a new location. And once that's completed, then you're negotiating the formal lease agreement. The letter of intent, Josh, is probably two or three or four pages. The formal lease agreement is anywhere from 35 to 75 pages. But the listeners today, some of them are going to be focused on an upcoming lease renewal negotiation, while other listeners, they might be thinking of opening up their first restaurant or their their third restaurant. And so the process is a little bit different if you're negotiating a lease renewal versus negotiating on a new lease or a new startup location. But there is a lot to negotiate. Let's keep it high level for a couple of more minutes. What makes a bad lease bad other than the chances are that I signed it personally? Well, the personal guarantee is really an issue. But if the tenant finds that they've been persuaded to sign an above market rental rate, or if the tenant can't afford to pay market rent, the landlord says, well, why would I rent it to you for under market? See, there's a difference between what the space is worth and what a tenant can afford to pay. In the food service industry, when I speak at the California, Florida, New York restaurant shows, that type of thing, I try to explain that you're working generally with about a 10% factor here. In other words, if your sales are $100,000 a month, 
really you can only afford to pay about $10,000 a month or 10% in gross rent. That's everything combined. Now I've got clients that really they're 7%, they're at 8.5%. I've got clients at 14, 18, and 22%, and they can't afford to pay that rent. So it always boils down to, is the rent too high or are the sales too low? But I want to speak a little bit deeper to this. And so a lot of businesses are located in plazas. And I often find that they pick a good plaza, but then they get a poor location within that plaza. There's an A-plus plaza, but they got a B-minus location, meaning there was no visibility. There was very little signage and things like that. So a letter of intent or an offer to lease has 21 business terms or 21 business points, and they're all important. They're all worth negotiating on. How do we make a good lease great? So let's assume that we're kind of into the process, and for the most part, it's decent. How do we make it a great lease for us? Well, that's an interesting question, because the answer, I think, is a little bit different for different tenancies. But a great lease should be include an early rate of termination or some way to exit if the business is not profitable. And I think that's kind of the key factor here because I often say to a restaurant owner, if I came in and I ordered a meal from your restaurant and I ate the meal and then I didn't pay you and I just walked out, well, you lost the meal and you never got paid, right? You're out of luck. But if a landlord gives you a shell of a space and you build a $300,000 restaurant in there and you run it and pay rent for four years, let's say you're on a four on a 10-year term and you pay rent for four years and then you can't make it anymore. The pandemic hits, right? If you can't pay the rent and you give the space back to the landlord, does the landlord lose the space? No, the landlord still owns the property. He still owns the space. You're probably giving it back to him in way better condition than you received it, right? So in that comparison, what has the landlord got to lose or what has the landlord got to risk? They collected rent while you were there. They'll go out and find another tenant to replace you. Second and third and fourth generation food service space is what the food industry really revolves around, right? The majority of restaurants that are opening, I don't know exactly majority, but probably at least half of the new restaurants opening are going into second generation food service space where there was a restaurant before. Sure. The landlord says, well, I don't need to give you money for the, I don't need to give you a tenant allowance for the bathrooms or for the ceiling. It's all there. You can reuse what's already there. So I think being able to terminate the lease and move on is really important. But I want to pivot into something that really is critical, and that's a good lease assignment clause. I remember I was speaking at the California restaurant show, and a restaurateur came up to me and said, Dale, I sold my restaurant five times. I said, well, how did you sell it five times? He said, well, the landlord rejected the assignee every single time. I finally had to sue the landlord or take him to court so that he would approve the sixth buyer for my restaurant. Now, this doesn't happen that often, but you're going to be really, really frustrated if you build up a nice restaurant business or a food service business, and then you can't sell it because the landlord blocks your assignment. And there are a lot of reasons why the landlord would block the assignment or not permit you to do so. And it's really a shame when they do that. You spend two whole chapters on site selection alone. What are the common mistakes that you see being made in that area? Compromise is one of them. I remember going to Hawaii to do site selection for one of my clients and 
she had actually picked five locations. And she said, you don't really have to come to Hawaii and pick us any locations. We just want you to look at the five that we've selected and tell us which one's the best and then negotiate the deal. So 10 days later, I arrive in Maui. My first day there, I view five different brokers at five different properties, five properties they picked. They were all decent. They weren't bad. They weren't great. They were decent. But I was booked to stay for a few days. So the next day I did my own site selection and I was able to find them two locations that I thought were quite superior. And they agreed. And not only did they lease one of those locations, but five years later, they hired me to negotiate their lease renewal again. So when it comes to site selection, one of the obstacles that I see tenants having is that they look for space and they pick the best location that's available. But you know, the best location that's available at the time may not be a profitable location, okay? Just because you've decided to open up a restaurant in this area of town now doesn't mean the right location for you or a profitable location actually exists. And the third point I'd like to make is that the entire site selection process and the way it's done by tenants, they, they really do it incorrectly. And so someone starting a food service business or opening up a second location, they'll probably start by driving around or maybe looking on the internet and they'll find the location they like, the plaza they like, and they'll phone the for lease sign on the property. And they'll negotiate on that one for a while and talk about it and go and see it and maybe have their contractor come and actually look at the space. And four weeks later, it's going to be too expensive. It's too big. There's no patio. There's reasons to walk away. And they keep repeating that process, Josh. So after six months, they've looked at six different locations, one after the other, and they're frustrated and they're tired and nothing's happening. When I go, I was just in Orlando doing site selection for one of my clients. And I did my initial site selection process a little bit on the internet, but then I went boots on the ground. And in a three-day period, I visited 20 locations that generally met the criteria. And now I've shortlisted that down to seven. Now, those seven I'm going to actually engage with because they're the best of the best. They're all four-star locations. And this is for a restaurant. And I'll probably negotiate on about four or five of those. And here's the key. You don't want to negotiate on a new location lease one after the other because you don't get to create any leverage. If I've got four or five locations that I think might work for my client, I will negotiate on all five of them simultaneously okay uh -huh. i'll request lease proposals and offers to lease from these landlords and take them all as close as i can to the altar because i want to create a bidding war i want this landlord well you're gonna to have to give me more than five months of free rent because this landlord's giving me six months right and by doing it simultaneously you can really create a competition for your tenancy and that's what you want also during site selection, I find that they'll make the mistake of using a broker who they think is working for them. I tell them, if you were having a legal dispute with a landlord, would you share their attorney? And everybody in the room laughs and says, of course, I wouldn't share the landlord's attorney. Well, why are you sharing their broker? The person who has their for lease sign on the building is not there to help you. Now, I'm not saying that broker is there to hurt you. But that broker who's lease, who has a four lease sign, a listing on the property, is there to get the landlord the best possible deal he can for the landlord. That means a full guarantee, you and your spouse, big deposit, yada, yada. And so the tenant might say to themselves, well, I'm going to get my own broker then. Well, guess what? Both brokers are being paid, splitting a commission from the same landlord. 
Nobody's actually getting paid by you. And the entire concept that I build the lease coach around was only work for tenants, only get paid by the tenant. Okay, that's what makes me different than a broker. I can tell a client, look, that location sucks or that location won't work. And this is the one you should go to or this one's too big. When was the last time a real estate agent ever said to a tenant, well, the location's too big for you, right? Because if you pick a bus of a location when you should have picked a minivan of a location, you're not going to be able to pay the rent because it's just too big. My wife and I are going out for dinner on Friday evening to one of our favorite faux restaurants. And when we walk in there, good food, good service. When we walk in there, you know what's really discouraging is they've got seating for about 80 people, but there's never more than 10 people. In yeah. There. If they would have been a lot smaller, like 50% smaller, it would have been a lot better for them. The rent wouldn't have been so high. I don't mean per square foot. I mean on a gross basis. So site selection, picking the right size of location is really critical as well seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're going to learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of us as much as possible. When the well is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you, but they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and filling those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. When negotiating the business terms of a lease deal, what should we be keeping in mind? What are your best practices? Uh, For a new lease, Josh, or a lease renewal? For a new lease. We'll get into lease renewals later. What are the best practices? Well, always go and see the space in person, meet the real estate agent, meet the property manager, meet the landlord. Sometimes my clients will be in California, but the landlord's in Illinois. So I do a Zoom call. I get them on the call together so they can see each other and there can be some communication. Even a conference call is better than no communication at all. Don't let the broker or the listing agent keep you apart from meeting with the landlord or talking to the property manager. So really that I think is key. And some tenants will make the mistake of getting lawyered up or getting lawyered up too soon. And I was speaking at a a major franchise show in Washington, D.C., and they put 75 virgin franchisees in the room to take my real estate course, my seminar on leasing. And they were all buying franchises. They were all going to sign their first lease. And when we got to the Q&A session at the end, one of the franchisees said to me, well, Dale, don't I need a real estate attorney to review my lease document for me? And I said, well, why do you think you need a real estate attorney to review your lease? He said, don't I need to make sure the lease agreement is legal? And I had to explain that the legality of the lease is really never in question. No, landlords don't send you loosey-goosey leases, lease documents full of loopholes. 
Now, the real estate agent might send you a loosey-goosey letter of intent, okay? But when you're negotiating on the LOI, you really want to make sure that your personal name doesn't get inserted as a tenant. Josh, sometimes somebody will call me up and say, I'm retiring, I'm going to open up a restaurant, I want your help on the lease. And I'm going to form my LLC once we find a location. Once we get a lease deal going, I'll spend a little bit of money getting my LLC formed. And I say, okay, but we don't want your name. We don't want John Smith to appear as the tenant. Because knowing that you're going to form an LLC later on, we need to have some of that already locked and loaded so that you don't inadvertently become a guarantor. I see rookie tenants all the time. Sign the tenant, John Smith. Well, now you can't replace John Smith. It's in there. The landlord says, well, we don't need a personal guarantee from you because you personally are the tenant. And so tenants call me up, Josh, and say, I don't have a personal guarantee. And I look at their lease and I say, yeah, but you're the tenant. You personally are the tenant. That's the same thing as a personal guarantee. So be careful of that. And one other point I want to leave you with, I guess, on new leases is when I talk in my Four Dummies book about free rent, I'm talking about rent or time after the restaurant has opened for business. Most landlords and real estate brokers will come out of the gate saying, well, we can give you three, four, five months of free rent. They're intending that to be the fixturing period, the time when you're building out your restaurant. Okay, so yeah, we're not going to charge you rent while you're building out your restaurant, but then you don't get any free rent after you open your restaurant. And that's not what I'm referring to. The fixturing period, the period of time prior to the restaurant opening should always be gross rent free. You shouldn't be paying any rent during that time. Okay. And the main point that I want to make, I was consulting with one of my clients in Houston because I work with tenants all across America. And he said to me, Dale, I did some due diligence and I had my contractor come in and look at the space. It was going to be first generation food service space, right? So a lot more work on a first generation space. Everything had to be put in. And he said, you know, in Houston, at this particular moment in time, he said, my contractor told me that it takes five months to get a building permit approved from the day you submit it. Five months. Well, he only had a three month window in his lease agreement to build the whole thing. Right. Right. So you may have to make sure that your lease agreement provides for you to have enough time to build out the restaurant and open. Too many restaurants, Josh, open after their rent starts. That should not happen if you've got a professional lease consultant guiding you through the process. So walk me through that. Every restaurant I've ever been involved in ran overtime and over budget when it came to construction costs in the construction timeline. So before you even start that process, how do you ensure in your lease that you wouldn't pay when it could take three months to build this thing out or it could take seven or eight months to build this thing out? I discuss it in advance with the landlord or the landlord's representative. Okay. In other words, when you're negotiating a lease, you don't want to leave the most important pieces like the personal guarantee and the rent and the start date of the lease, the commencement date of the rent. You don't want to leave that to the end of the negotiations. You want to get that right out in front. And if a landlord says, we expect your client to pay the rent the day after they sign the lease agreement, you know, well, we can move on. Instead of investing gobs and gobs of time into that location, let's move on to a more realistic landlord who will give you as much time as you need. 
But there's a second point to that. The startup restaurant tenants forget that there's a design process and then the landlord has to approve the lease agreement. I mean, excuse me, has to approve the design drawings, right? Then you can go for permitting and then you can start constructing. And so we will sometimes say that the, let's say there's a three or four or five month fixturing period window, that that fixturing period window does not start until the permits are received from the city. Okay, because if the city takes three months to approve your permits, you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs. Right. So really, it's making sure that all of these things run in sequence. If a lease agreement has fixed dates on everything, it's more likely you're going to run over and pay rent before you open. You want to say, I've got 30 days to design. I've got 45 days to do this. I've got 100 days to do that. And then 15 days after we finish building the restaurant, that's when we pay rent. Let's get back to money. What are the pitfalls to avoid when negotiating our lease rate? Well, typically when I negotiate a lease for a tenant, I'm not getting them a below market rent. When a tenant comes to me and says, I like this property, or I've received an LOI on this property, and now I want your help, Dale. Typically, they're being pitched an over market rental rate. So I'm simply trying to get them down to reality. And I say, okay, if I can get your rent to this stage, are you going to be profitable? If I can get it down from what they proposed, are you going to be profitable? Yes, I will if you can get it down. So when it comes to the rent, the problem that most tenants have, I think, is that they agree that they either rent too much space, too much area, because they're paying rent per square foot, or they've simply agreed to pay an above market rent. So why did they end up paying an above market rent? Maybe to get a higher tenant allowance or a longer free rent period. It's not really a free rent period if they just add a dollar per square foot to the lease term, is it? Maybe you can absorb that. Maybe you can't. Okay. So it usually does come down to the rent. I do find that when a tenant does up a business plan for their restaurant, trying to be conservative or satisfy their partners or spouse, they don't want to say, we're not going to, we're going to do 150000 a month in, in revenue. They don't want to say that. They want to look conservative. And if you put a small number in the expected revenue column, the landlord might not even deal with you because he says, well, you can't afford our rents if that's all your expected revenue is. So there's a trade-off here. You also negotiate on square footage, which I thought was really interesting. What is phantom space? Phantom space is area that the tenant is paying rent on and common area maintenance fees on that doesn't exist. And I'll give you a classic example copy shop owner hires me. She says, Dale, I'm three years into a five-year lease and I can't pay my rent. I need help. So I start to engage with the landlord. The first thing I do is measure her space and find out she's got 10% less square footage than she's paying for or that it says on her lease agreement. So I get that adjusted and then I go on and that's a refund from the past and a correction for the future. And then I go on to negotiate the midterm rent reduction, which I do a lot of for tenants. But I tell this not so much bragging, but really more as a emphasis on how common phantom space is. I've personally made over a quarter of a million dollars remeasuring tenant space and collecting the money back that they overpaid to the landlord. Okay, it's that rampant. Now it's starting to get a little bit better. I'm talking about 5, 10, 15 years ago. Landlords are starting to be a little bit more thorough. But the average tenant never thinks to put in their letter of intent that the space will be verified, that the landlord has to prove that the number of square feet they're charging him for 
actually exists. And a, a space measurement only typically costs between three and $500. It's not excessive. And you might be paying that rent for the next 10 years. Josh, one of the biggest discrepancies I ever found, this is a franchise tenant. And they thought they had 4,400 square feet. We measured their space and they only had 3,600 square feet. They were paying base rent and cam on 800 phantom square feet. Crazy. And their property was owned by an attorney. And when we called this attorney up and said, this isn't right, he actually was quite understanding. He said, as you know, I bought this property a few years ago and I just used the same measurements the previous landlord. I believe the attorney, the landlord, when he said, I honestly didn't know. And so he very willingly actually fixed it and corrected it, right? And then we promptly signed up every other tenant in this building and measured their space too. So you know how that story goes. You mentioned a phrase earlier that I want to discuss because I think that it's a really interesting idea that had never really crossed my mind before I started following your work. The idea of a midterm rent reduction. Mm. If things aren't going well within your business, you're paying rent at a loss. So you go back to the landlord and you renegotiate the rate. I'm curious to know, because I know you've done hundreds of these. Uh How successful is that? How often does that go over well? 80% of the time we have pretty significant success. But my point is any ball player that bats 800, well, they're they're the highest paid, they're the best ball player in the league. But the successes come in variations. And so we might get the tenant a 15% rent rollback. We might get them a 25 or a 35% midterm rent reduction. It varies based on the paperwork we prepare for the landlord. And so you have to be able to show that if your restaurant's really disorganized, and I had this one client, he couldn't tell me what his sales were. He was running the restaurant by the collar of his sleeve. He couldn't tell me how much he was making. Whereas if another restaurant said, well, here's my profit and loss statement. I can show you exactly how much money we put through the cash register and how much we sold and what my expenses were. When I take that to the landlord, the landlord believes that tenant is worth helping. If you look like you're dead restaurant walking, why are they going to give you a midterm rent reduction? They're only going to give you a midterm rent reduction to help you get through a, a rough patch so that you can then recover and pay them rent for the next 10 years. And we did a lot of this during the pandemic. And of course, that was a unique situation. It was shocking and amazing and wonderful how many tenants we were able to save by going to their landlord and getting short-term rent abatements, not just rent relief, but actual rent abatements that they did not have to repay. Here's one of the keys. Let's say you're three years into a seven-year lease. The landlord doesn't want to give you a midterm rent reduction for the last four years. You may not need a rent reduction for four years. We will typically negotiate your midterm rent reduction for six or preferably 12 months. So I've got clients that every 12 months, for the first 12 months, the landlord's going to cut 22% off the rent. That's abated, gone. And then we come back into the picture 12 months later, we show them our new profit and loss statement, our new financials, and now maybe the tenant's done a little bit better and they only need a 10% midterm rent reduction for that next year, right? The goal is to be reasonable when you approach the landlord. I've had a few clients that were, they were dead restaurant walking. They'd come to me and say, well, Dale, I'm losing $10,000 a month at my restaurant. And I say, but your rent is only 8,000 a month. So I could get you a 100% rent reduction and you'd still be losing $2,000 a month. Are you sure the rent is too high or are your sales too low? What's really going on here? 
Talk to me about best practices when it comes to deposits and personal guarantees. Real estate deposits, leasing deposits are not mandatory. Okay, they're not legally mandatory. Most of our lease coach clients don't have a deposit. And so the tenants don't understand this. And the number one reason that a landlord wants a deposit is not in case you damage the space. It's not in case you don't pay the rent. I mean, that's not really the reason. The number one reason on first generation or new lease location space, the landlord wants a deposit from you is to offset the big fat commission he's about to pay to the broker. Okay. Because that's a significant amount of money, especially with a 10 year deal. And sometimes it'll be a five year lease with a five year renewal option. And the broker slips in a clause that says not only does he get his commission on the first five years, but he gets his commission on all renewal options. Right. If the landlord agrees to that because they're desperate for a tenant, they're desperate for you to move in, then they're going to want you to pay a bigger deposit to help offset that. And the Tenants come to me and they say, I've been in the same location for 15 years, Dale, I'll negotiate my lease renewal. And I look, they got a $12,000 deposit. Well, I say, you realize you paid the landlord $1.7 million in rent. There's no reason for you to have a deposit still with the landlord, let alone a personal guarantee. This one tenant came to us, he has seven locations, and he said, after we did his lease renewal, Okay, and I wasn't even the, the lead consultant. I just called him with our company client. I called him up after the project and I said, what did we do? I knew what we did for him, Josh, but I wanted to know if he knew what we did for him. He said, well, yeah, you essentially did four things negotiating my lease renewal. You got them to refund my deposit, right? And he said, I never thought I'd get my deposit back until I moved out. Then you got me three months of free rent as a tenant allowance so I could do some remodeling, Okay. Then you negotiated for my personal guarantee to evaporate and go away. And he said, Dale, the thing that really shocked me was you negotiated a rent reduction on my lease renewal. But you see, there's a lot that can be negotiated. And sometimes these lease renewal tenants, they think that their rent can't go down. They make the mistake of exercising their renewal option when if they had not exercised their renewal option and come to the lease coach, we maybe could have gotten them a rent reduction on their lease renewal. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to offer the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement for the folks listening? Well, definitely. And this may sound self-serving, but really you're going to get something out of it. If you go to the leasecoach.com, if you go to our company website, there's a form you can fill in for no obligation. You can request a complimentary copy of my 330-page Four Dummies book, and we'll just send it out to you. If you want to have a consult, we can talk about that. We can show you our rates and our fees and the services we provide to tenants. But really, talk to somebody who's more knowledgeable than you, somebody in the industry like myself, and start learning what you don't already know. A lot of my clients, Josh, are really, really good people. I'd like to have more of these restaurant owners as my friend, but I wouldn't let them touch my lease. Right? They're not qualified. And so the number one thing someone says after they read my book or they read sections of my book is, Dale, there were things, there were questions in here I never even thought to ask. I was just astounded. I was shocked. Right? It's very common for someone to spend 30 minutes reading my book and then email me and say, i got to talk to you. I got to find out more about this. I got to ask some questions. Tenants, as you said at the very beginning of this podcast, they often don't feel empowered. They feel insecure and they accept whatever is given to them. And often that is 
enabled or facilitated by a broker not wanting you to negotiate. You got a broker representing you. Well, why would he want to negotiate? If I get you a year of free rent on a five-year lease, you're ecstatic. If a broker gets you a year of free rent on a five-year lease, you only get the four-year commission, right? If the rent is higher, the broker's commission is higher. Well, you don't want to pay higher rent. So think about who's representing you. Think about who you're getting advice from. Don't just get lawyered up because often tenants tell me the attorneys tend to focus on the legalese, not on negotiating the fine points and the, the rent and the things like that in the lease agreement and the exclusivity clause and the percentage rent and that type of thing. So do some research before you get too deep into the process. And if you're facing a lease renewal, hey, we specialize in negotiating lease renewal rent reductions. So make sure you go to theleasecoach.com and request your complimentary copy of my Four Dummies book. That, that's what I recommend. No strings attached. That's Dale Willerton. To get a free copy of his book, visit theleasecoach.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.